You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. All right, well, I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 4. Zechariah chapter 4, that's in the Old Testament toward the end of it. Might take you a little bit longer to find this one tonight, uh, but Zechariah chapter four, uh, we're going to be uh, in the same passage actually that we were this morning, and uh, this morning, uh, uh, same principle I'll be dealing with, but applying it in other ways uh, tonight. And this morning was really primarily about Mother's Day, and, uh, and it's really good to uh, to have services. Uh, again, I'm thankful for that and looking forward to uh, when we can just full, just resume fully and have everything back uh, the way that we all want it to be. And I'm uh, just going to do some things in phases and take it a little bit slow uh, to uh, make sure that we have a good, our plan is being, um, is being enacted and that we're, we're able to implement it the way that we want to. And uh, so Zechariah chapter 4, I'll go ahead and ask you to stand in honor of the reading of of the scripture tonight, and uh, then we'll get into the message. We'll read the uh, first 10 verses here. Actually, I'm I'm just read the whole chapter here, and then uh, we'll focus mostly uh, verses 8 through 10, really primarily tonight. Uh, Zechariah chapter 4, it says in verse 1, hopefully you found it, and the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep. And said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick, all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof. And two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, what are these, my Lord? Not a bad question. If you see a vision like this, you don't know what it means. It seems kind of random. Uh, What does this mean, is Zechariah's response. Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, knowest thou not what these be? Almost like, how do you not know what these things mean? Uh, And I said, no, my Lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, this is the word of the Lord, Unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? That's the key question. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven, They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. Then answered I and said unto him, What are these two olive trees upon the right side of the candlestick and upon the left side thereof? And I answered again and said unto him, 
What be these two olive branches, which through the two golden pipes empty the golden oil out of themselves? And he answered me and said, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then said he, These are the two anointed ones that stand by the Lord of the whole earth. Clear as mud? Yep. Uh, some of these uh, Old Testament prophecies and these books that include a lot of visions, they can be confusing sometimes to discern. But what we really know in this passage have pretty clear answers. And I think there's some good application to be made, uh, especially with the question of verse 10, for who hath despised the day of small things? And I want to deal with that in a broader application this evening. I appreciate your standing. You can be seated. Thank you. I saw a headline this week that captured my attention. It, it was the story of an Icelandic man named Hafthor Bjornsson. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right or not, but Hafthor Bjornsson. And he broke the world record in the deadlift. And if you know anything about the deadlift, and uh, the deadlift is a pretty simple uh, lift in that it's just a bar on the ground with weight on it, and you simply bend down and pick it up and stand fully up. That's the deadlift. And it sounds like a simple enough lift. It doesn't sound like a big deal. Um, until you watch the video that I saw of Hafthor Bjornsson this week. I could hardly believe my eyes when I, as I watched Bjornsson lift over 1,100 pounds in the deadlift. And 1,100 pounds actually was a world record. Uh, no one else, at least uh, as we, that we know of, no one else has ever... Uh, officially lifted that much weight in a deadlift. And it was so much weight, if you watch the video, it was so much weight that the bar, as he picked up the bar, it was bending like an upside-down U. Um, the amount of weight, though, wasn't even the most impressive part of the video. The amazing part is um, watching Bjornsson himself. You see, Half-Thor, as his, maybe his friends call him, Half-Thor... Um, or maybe just Thor, because he's a big guy. He stands six foot nine, and he weighs over 450 pounds. And if you, if you see him in the video, he, he, he's a very muscular guy. He is, his, his weight is basically all muscle. And they call him the Mountain. That's his nickname, which I think he's pretty appropriately named. When I saw the video then, I did what every good dad does when you see a video like this, and I called for my son, Jace. And I said, Jace, you have to see this guy. And I, I said, look at this guy. He's a real-life giant. It's like Incredible Hulk with a beard. That's what he looks like. And he seems as wide as he is tall. He's just an enormous person. It's unbelievable. And right now, I think anyone at home watching the video you're tempted to pause the sermon and look up Hafthor Bjornsson on your cell phone. I want to encourage you to wait till after. God will bless you if you show some discipline and patience right now. For some of you, it's probably too late. Uh, don't pause the sermon and search your YouTube for the deadlift record. I know many of you are tempted to do that. So um, as I watched this mountain of a man, really, it's an appropriate nickname. I thought about his size and I thought about his size compared to my son, my son, Jace is seven years old, and he probably weighs, maybe he weighs about 50 pounds. Uh, he's a pretty average-sized kid. The mountain literally weighs nine times 
more than my son. He, or he equals nine of my son, 450 pounds. And I was thinking about what Jace could lift. Jace could probably lift, dead lift, uh, maybe his weight. That'd be a lot of weight for a little guy. I've, I've seen him, him carry his friends around and, and act like he's strong. But Bjornsson can literally lift over 20 times more uh, than Jace can lift. There's really no comparison between the two. There's no comparison between the mountain, Bjornsson, and my son, my seven-year-old son, Jace. But something dawned on me as I was watching the video and thinking about this message this week. One thing dawned on me, and that is that at one point in his life, the mountain was the same size as my son, Jace. And sure, it was probably on his first birthday, uh, but they were the same size at one point in their life. He wasn't always the size that he is. Uh, Bjornsson was not always the mountain. He, he didn't always have the strength that he has right now. And sometimes I think we forget that big things were once small things. Uh, we have a tough time not dismissing something small, but we fail to remember that in order for something to be big, it has to go through the process of being small. You, you don't get the product of something big without going through that process. And this morning, uh, we looked at the principle from this principle from Zechariah 4, and we applied it to Mother's Day. And I want to do a, a review, a little bit of a review of the context here for tonight's service, and then make some application in different areas, because I think the principle is important. See, Zechariah was a prophet in, in Judah after the remnant returned from the Babylonian exile of 70 years. The prophets Haggai and, Zachari- and Zechariah, they prophesied during the same time, during the time of Ezra and the rebuilding of the second temple. And the timeline of the rebuild has it starting around 535 BC, but then the enemies of God stepped in and, and they, they, in the book of Ezra, you could go and read it, they influenced King Artaxerxes, the king of Babylon, they in, influenced him to put a stop to the work. So he, he put out a letter, a cease and desist letter to stop the work in, in Judah. He got uh, he, he became threatened, he was paranoid that they were trying to step out from under his authority. And the builders at that time, they had, when the work stopped, they had actually finished and dedicated the foundation of the temple. And for about 15 years, the work of the temple stopped. So if you can imagine, they built this, the foundation of the temple, they dedicated, they even put up altars, they began sacrifices, and they're, they're excited about the next phase, and then they get a letter saying, you have to stop the work. So these people, these exiles that were in Babylon, they had come all the way back to Jerusalem to do this task, and they were not able to do more than the foundation. And at this point, that's when Haggai and Zechariah were prophesying, and, and that, the book of Zechariah really is almost a letter of encouragement to Zerubbabel and the other builders of the, the temple to try to encourage them in the work because it seemed like such a daunting task. At this point, I think that the work had resumed, but it just seemed like such an impossible, a, a mountain, really. It seemed like an impossible task. Zechariah's message was the message of encouragement to the Jews, and they needed it. If you read the prophecies, you'll also see, if you, if you read this book, you find there are plenty, there's lots of sin to deal with. Um, after 15 years or so, you, know, you can imagine 
complacency had set in, their, their, uh, their intentions and motives to serve God were not what they should have been, and he had to deal with some sin as well, but his primary purpose was to encourage those that were in charge of the building, to encourage those that, that needed some, some, maybe some prodding in the work. In this book, Zechariah can be a little bit difficult to discern or decipher because God often revealed Zechariah's prophecies to him in the form of visions and pictures and symbols. It's, it's very similar to other books like the book of Daniel or the book of Revelation. There's a lot of imagery, a lot of symbolism, and therefore some of it can seem a little bit confusing. Chapter 4 is a combination of symbols and pictures and a message of encouragement. God uses some symbols in the temple to encourage those building the temple. The work is resumed, but it feels daunting. It's just been a foundation for a long time. And questions were lingering. They were asking questions like, will the work ever be done? Will we spin our wheels for another 20 years? So God makes promises. And he gives some principles. And when it seems like no progress is being made, then he gives them some truth, some promise, some principles. And he starts with this thought... Number one, you will have an endless supply of help. When when it seems like no progress is being made, God promises those that were doing the work, he says, you will have an endless supply of help. And this is where this first vision comes in, and I don't want to go through all of it again, but there's a vision of a lamp stand here in the temple. This angel comes to Zechariah, wakes him up with a vision, and, I don't, and talks about a lamp stand. And I don't know exactly what it looked like, but there's a candle stand, if you can imagine a tall candle stand, with a bowl on top of it. And somewhere on the stand, there are seven candles. And these seven candles have seven pipes or seven tubes coming to them, supplying a constant supply of pure olive oil so that the fire, the flame, can continue to burn. There was to be this continually, if you read the Old Testament and you read the book of Exodus, there are some places there that talk about this candlestick that was to be in the temple or the tabernacle and was to burn continuously, and it represented the eternal presence of God. The priests then, that was part of their job, they would have to continuously check on the flame and make sure it was burning. They had to make sure there was plenty of oil in the candlestick, that it remained clean and that it remained lit at all times. Exodus 27 and uh, verses 20 and 21 give some instruction for that. What's interesting about this candle configuration in the book of Zechariah of, of chapter 4, it says that there are also in verse 3 two olive trees in the temple there. And these two olive trees, the symbol is that these olive trees are supplying a constant steady stream of pure olive oil to the, the bowl, which would from the bowl then supply a constant steady stream of pure olive oil into the candles so the flames wouldn't go out. So it was, it was almost like the priests were in this symbol, the priests didn't have a job to do, that the olive trees themselves were supplying a continuous daily, hourly, moment by moment, they were apply, uh, supplying oil to the candles to continue burning. It's almost a self Filling lamp is what it is. And I imagine these two olive trees, the way that I see it was these two olive trees had tubes. They were leading to a large bowl. And from that bowl, there are these seven other tubes going out to seven candles 
on this candlestick with flames, and the flame is burning all the time. So I know that's a strange imagery, but it does mean something. Zechariah didn't know what to make of it, so he asks what it means, and he gets a pretty clear answer from the angel. But as a side note, let me just say this first. There are a lot of people that go into great depth and details about what this means in prophecy, that what this vision means for the future, and it seems like there is a connection between uh, some things you have here in Zechariah 4 and maybe the seven eyes and the seven angels in the book of Revelation. The lampstand could typify Jesus Christ as the light of the world. The two olive trees could point to the two witnesses in the book of Revelation. Uh, I I think in this passage, in this context, they're, they're pointing to Joshua and Zerubbabel. Joshua's the priest. And Zerubbabel is the, the builder or uh, a type of the king. Uh, there's a lot of imagery. There's a lot of prophecy. And we could get into a lot of that. Um, you could talk about how the capstone, that's the final stone placed here, is, is Jesus Christ, who is not only the cornerstone, but he's also the capstone. He's the beginning and the end. Other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We could go into all of those pictures, but I'm going to stick really with the primary explanation that we get right here, that is the angel relates it to the work in the moment. And there's a lot of things this could mean, but this is all a message for Zerubbabel, an encouragement for Zerubbabel. This man, Zerubbabel, is the man in charge of the building of the temple. He's the architect, he's the engineer, and he's responsible for the reconstruction. And the angel's message makes it sound like Zerubbabel's discouraged in the moment. And basically he's saying, this is a word of the Lord undeserubable, almost like he comes to Zechariah and says, listen, I want you to pass a message along to Zerubbabel. Give him a message from me. And the message is this, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. That's the message. What he's telling Zerubbabel is in the work of God, it needs something beyond human power. It needs to be powered by something beyond the strength and wisdom of what man can bring to the table. It needs something bigger than human resources if you're going to get something accomplished in the work of God. He says not by might, and that might points to the collective strength of, of, many, of uh, many people together, maybe a group or an army. And he says it's not even by an army. An army can't do what God can do. He says not by power, and that refers more to the individual strength. The angel's message to Zerubbabel is saying, that not even the strongest person you know can do the work of God. And the point that he's making is it doesn't matter if it's the strength of many or the strength of few. The resources of many or few don't come close to doing the work of God that God can do. And he says, but if you'll depend on me, I'll give you a daily continual help in the work. And that's where the picture of the olive trees comes in. They were supplying constant oil to the lamps. And that oil very often is a picture of the Spirit of God and how He's a constant help. He's a constant companion. He is there all the time, every time we need Him. And what He's saying is there's a contrast here. He says it's not by might or not by, and not by power, but by the Spirit because human might and human power is limited, but God's Spirit is not. And God wants Zerubbabel to know that he has an endless supply of God's help at his disposal. I don't know what Zerubbabel was dealing with in this moment, but it becomes clear that the work of God 
will never be accomplished by anything we try to do on our own. Uh, we, we will never have enough wisdom to, to change a, a person's soul. We will never have enough experience to reach a person's heart. We will never have enough strength to make God's work happen. And the angel's message was that the temple, the work of God, can only be accomplished by the Spirit of God. And yet, the Spirit of God is always available. And I don't know if Zerubbabel had gotten to the place where he was weary. I don't know if he had gotten to the place where he lost sight of the fact that the necessary resource for, to accomplish God's work is God's Spirit. I mean, I can imagine that he had no more energy. I can imagine he was weary. Have you ever been there in the work? Have you ever gotten tired and you think, well, there's just, I don't see any progress being made. And you try to go on, but you don't have any strength left. Well, that's the message that, that the angel is giving his rubble is in a moment like that, you have to start, you have to stop and realize you can't do it in your own strength. You must have God's help in the work. If it's going to be something that is accomplished for God, it has to be controlled and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. Zerubbabel had probably run out of steam. He was at the end of himself, and along comes this message, this promise, that God's help is a limitless supply. And this isn't the main point. This leads us to the point. But I just want to say, if you're weary tonight, if you're tired and you've been trying to do it all in your strength, just know that God has a limitless supply of help. And just like the olive trees that are directly connected, unless you're, you want your flame to go out, you must connect to the source of God, His power, His strength, His spirit, because He promises a limitless supply. The next promise that He makes, the next principle we see here to Zerubbabel is you will have the resources to finish the job. Not only will you have an endless supply of God's help, but you will have the resources to finish. Look at verse 7. It says, Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain. <laughs> I love this. I love the, the imagery here. Basically, he says to Zerubbabel, God says, here's how much power I have. I can turn the, the Rocky Mountains of Colorado and make them look like a South Dakota cornfield. I can turn mountains into a plain. That's the kind of power I had if I have at my disposal, Zerubbabel. And so it would be silly for someone in Zerubbabel's position to turn that kind of power down. I mean, God can turn a mountain into a plain, and we think that we can do the work of God in our own strength? I mean, come on, it's a silly thought process, and yet we do it all the time. But look at, continually in verse 7. Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying grace, grace unto it. He, he starts talking about the headstone, and when we think about a headstone, we think about a, 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 a grave marker. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a capstone on a building. And that's the, the capstone is the final piece of the building, and what he's saying is, there will come a day, and it's coming soon, that the temple will be finished. He comes to Zerubbabel in his time of discouragement, in his time of weariness, and he says, not only will I give you a continuous supply of all the help that you need, but I have enough resources that you will see the job finished. Zerubbabel, you'll put that final capstone in place, and the people that watch are going to shout and they're going to give credit to God's grace for finishing the work. Well, what a great promise. 
If you can imagine, that must have been a very helpful thing for, for Zerubbabel to hear. This job felt like a mountain. The task seemed impossible. The foundation had laid for about 15 years with no further progress. And here comes God making promises that not only will he be all the help he needs, but he will, so, he will have enough resources to help him finish the job. Look at verse 9. He says again, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. It kind of reminds me of Philippians 1, 6, which says, He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And that word, that promise is graded. The word perform means to bring to an end, to accomplish or, or complete. And, that, and Paul was saying that God is able to finish what he starts. If he saves our soul and he sets us on the course to become like his son, he won't stop halfway. He has enough resources to finish the job until we see Jesus Christ face to face. See, God never starts a project that he cannot complete. Think of the language being used, how encouraging this must be for Zerubbabel who thinks the job's never going to get done. The project will never be done. We've only had a foundation for years. And yet you hear this language saying it's as good as done. Mountains will become plains. You will put the capstone in place. There will be shouts of God or to God for his grace. His hands shall finish it. Thou shalt know. Uh, they shall rejoice. That's all language that you see here. And it's telling Zerubbabel that God has the resources to finish what he starts. And I'm thankful that God is not like some of us sometimes. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've, I've picked up a book and started reading it. And I get through a couple of chapters. And after a couple of chapters, I lose interest or I, or I forget about it. And I put it in my, uh, in my drawer. And, and there's so many unfinished books in my past. And yet with God, he never starts something that he doesn't have the resources to finish. And I want you to remember that in the work. That's not the primary point, but it sure is a good point. It's a good promise to Zerubbabel, and it's a good promise to us. If we're doing the work of God, he has the resources to help us see it all the way through. So we have an endless supply of help. And we have the resources to finish from God's, from God's hand, his spirit. But third, and this is really the point uh, the focus that I want to I want to go to, and that is, you will enjoy the product if you'll embrace the process. You'll enjoy the product if you embrace the process. Look at verse ten. He says, "For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. The, they are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. And there's some of that that's a little bit confusing. We'll talk about it. But I want to focus on that question. For who hath despised the day of small things? To despise means to view something as insignificant or, or lacking value. And if you can imagine, Zerubbabel had labored for a long time and, and, and had to stop the work and there had been such little progress that, I, that he, you know that he's asked this question because he had begun to view the work as lacking value. I mean, when he would walk by the temple foundation, he said, there it is again, the same way it was yesterday, the same way it was 10 years ago, and two years from now, it's probably going to be the same. You know in his mind that Zerubbabel had started to despise the day of small things. He had started to think about it like it was less important than, than it was because it hadn't changed. It was small. 
And really, for Zerubbabel, it was more than a day of small things. This was a season of small things. This lasted years for him. After years, the work still looked small. The second temple they were trying to build was much smaller than the first temple. When the ancient men, if you go read in the book of Ezra, you see how when they laid the foundation and they dedicated it, there were men that were there that were present that had been alive 50-something years earlier. They had seen the original temple. And they started to weep when they saw the foundation of the new temple because it wasn't nearly as impressive as the old temple. They started to weep, and it wasn't just tears of joy. The size wasn't that impressive. I mean, and here it is, it, it, for a long time, Zerubbabel had looked, been looking at it, and it's almost like the foundation, sure, it wasn't even as big as the other temple, and after years of just letting it sit, it looked smaller and smaller and smaller. It just wasn't as impressive anymore. And it certainly wasn't as impressive as the old temple. But by asking the question, the angel is really answering the question. When he says, for we who hath despised the day of small things, what he is saying is, don't despise the season while it's, while it's small. Don't think that just because it's not all it could be, that it has less value. And here's why, and this is really where we get down to it. Here's why you shouldn't despise the small things, Zerubbabel. Because nothing is insignificant when God is involved in it. Nothing is insignificant when God is at work. I, you know, I apply that to mothers raising children. Uh, this morning, young moms assume their children will never be potty trained. I mean, if you've been there, then you know that's a, that is more than a day of small things. I mean, that's a season that feels like it never ends. It seems like it, there are some character lessons with your kids that you have to teach over and over. Those small things, they just tend to linger. When they get older, a little older, and you think they've learned a lesson, and then they fall right back into it, or they make the same mistakes over. And, and moms can sometimes feel like the small things will never get, well, I'll never get over them. And you start to despise the small steps. You start to despise the small things. But listen, in this area of life and in all areas of life, if God is working, the work is not small. That's the point that, is, that, that the angel is trying to make to Zerubbabel through Zechariah. He said, if God is working, the work is not small. If you're allowing God's Spirit, not by might, not by power, but by this Spirit, if the Spirit is doing the work, it's not small. See, God uses the seasons of small things to change us. The process includes days of small things until we're ready for something bigger. And even when it seems like we're spinning our wheels and there's no progress being made, that's part of the process. And Zerubbabel was finding out that the season when not much was being accomplished, that's necessary. I mean, you don't get to the product until you go through the process. You don't get to, do, to enjoy something big until you have to go through the days and the seasons of something small. Everything big was once small. It started out small. Hathor Bjornsson, he deadlifts over 1,100 pounds and he's 6'9", 450 pounds. But there was a time that he'd never lifted weights. At one point in his life, he was smaller than my son Jace. 
I mean, yes, on his first birthday, but still, he was smaller than Jay's. I mean, what if at one point in his life, he had said, I can't lift 1,100 pounds, so I'm, I'm done lifting weights. Well, he would have never enjoyed the product because he wasn't willing to go through the process. I've been, and maybe you have too, if you've ever been to the West Coast uh, and you've been to the Redwood National Forest or you've seen redwood trees, they're incredible giant trees and beautiful. You just, it's hard to believe that it's, a, it's something that grew out of the ground. It's, they're so tall. There's one in California that's about 300, I'm sorry, about 380 feet tall. At one point, it was, though, just a tiny seed. Now, you could have carried it in your hand. And what if the seed had looked around when it was first planted and said, I'm not as tall as them, so I'm just not going to mess with this, and refused to grow? See, this is true in every area of life. So we grow to become what we're supposed to be. Life is not a light switch, although we live in a day when everyone wants to be, you know, instant gratification. Everybody wants something right away and you, you want the internet to work right away and you want something to load right away and you want to get a, a text right away. You want to send it right away. You want information in the moment. But life is not a light switch. Life is a process and it leads to a product. I think about kids in our church, and, and I, I love the children of our church, and, and I'm excited to see what God wants them to become. And many of you children, you want to grow up, and you want to be big, and you want to kind of do the things that, uh, that your parents do or grown-ups do, and you, you, you kind of get impatient sometimes. Listen, if you skip a bunch of steps in childhood, you're going to miss important lessons along the way. And when you do become an adult, you won't be ready to become all you're supposed to be. Don't short-circuit the process. I'm thinking about school right now and how a lot of our kids are at home, and especially those that were in public school and they're sitting at home trying to do their schoolwork and it's tough to get, have the motivation to do the schoolwork. Don't short-circuit the process. Yes, you want to graduate. Yes, you want to get a good job. Yes, you want to make money and financially support yourself. But if you skip a bunch of steps in school, you won't get to enjoy the product that you would have if you weren't willing to go through the process. I think about teenagers. God has, has you in a home with the parents that you have for a reason. God in his sovereignty saw fit to put you into that home. To assume then that you don't have anything else to learn from your parents, it's not only wrong, but it's bypassing God's plan for you to become the person you're meant to be. Sure, strive for maturity. We need some young Christian people that, are, that, that grow up and, and take responsibility. But don't uh, get to the place where you assume your parents no longer have something to teach you once you turn 15. You need the process before you enjoy the product. It can happen at work. You may not be in the position or even in the job that you think you deserve or the job that you want. But sometimes the discipline of just being content and being consistent with what God has blessed you with, that's part of the process. That's God taking you from where you are to where you need to be. Don't despise the day of small things. Don't despise the small lessons you can learn right where you are. Someday God will bless your attitude toward the small things with something even bigger. I think about victory over sin. And right now it may seem like going an hour without giving in to temptation seems like a mountain that you can't climb. But if you will be willing to go through the process of having God change you, that hour will turn into a day 
and that day will turn into a week, and that week someday will become a month, and that month will become months, and those months might become a year, and those years could become years, years and years of you living in victory. But it's not a light switch. You have to be willing to go through the process of, of walking with God and seeking His face and reading His Word so you can resist temptation. And sometimes it's days on end of small things before you get to watch the capstone be put into place. You have to be willing to go through the small things. You have to be willing to go through the process to enjoy the product. It's true in marriage. Well, young, young uh, couples get married and, and they think everything has to be in place like is in place in their parents' marriage and in their parents' life. And they have to have everything their parents have right away. And they might go into debt because they think, well, that's what's mar- what marriage is supposed to be. Or they might grow impatient with each other because they think, well, he's not like my dad or she's not like my mom. And they forget the fact that their dad or their mom has lived a lifetime of a process to become the product that they are. Be patient with each other in marriage. You're not a finished product. He's not. She's not a finished product. Be careful to assume that they have to meet your expectations uh, before they have ever been through the process. It's true in Christian growth. Sometimes we get impatient and we think, why am I not what I want to be yet? And yet it's a process. It takes years I mean, it takes years to become what you're supposed to be. I mean, think about it. At one point, the Apostle Paul was a pretty raw Christian, a young Christian. I think about projects either at work or projects at home, and sometimes we start a project and we realize, wow, this is a lot bigger than I realized. It's a lot bigger than I thought it was going to be. It takes a lot longer than I thought it was going to take. And rather than work through the process so we get to enjoy the product, we give up on it early and we never get to enjoy the end. We never put the capstone on. You know, this is true in building a church, too. It's really what I, what I want to get to tonight. I won't spend much time on it, but you know, I think Eastside, I think about Eastside Baptist Church. Of course, I've been thinking about it a lot lately. You know, we have a lot to enjoy at Eastside Baptist Church. But it's still not the same as, as it was before COVID-19. You know, think about it. It's not all back the way we want it to. We're, we're, we're going to have to go through some phases before it's all back to normal. And there are some that will grow really impatient with that. And I've, I've heard some impatience about that. And, and uh, trust me, I, I hear it. I, I feel it. The service, the, the service is different. I mean, I'm thankful for it, but it's not the same as it was. And some people will be so hung up on the fact that we don't have Sunday school for the children right away. And they'll be hung up or, or upset about the fact that there's not a nursery to begin. And there's not a children's ministry to start. And that we don't you run our buses right away. And there's not a choir. I mean, these are things that we'll be phasing into. And we can view this period of time like the ancient men when the foundation for the, temp, the second temple was laid. And we can start crying about it. I mean, it's upsetting. Uh, we could say, like, I, I, it's not what I, it was before. And it's sad, and therefore it kind of has less value. Or we could say, it's not what it could be. It's not what it's supposed to be. 
It's just a small thing right now, so it's less significant. When it becomes something bigger, then I'll value it a little bit more. No, be careful. Don't despise the day just because the work seems small. Don't diminish its value. Don't diminish what we're enjoying or or what we have right now because we're in the process. We're not seeing the finished product. I mean, trust me, as the pastor, I, I don't know that anybody has more of a vision for the finished product that Eastside Baptist Church could be than the pastor. But I have to be patient and realize we're going through a process. We want to get to the product, sure, but right now it's a process. And here's why it still has value, because in God's work, if He's involved, that's what matters most. If He's involved, that's all that matters. Listen, if we only had one service a week for years, and we had no building, and we had only a handful of people, but the Spirit of God was here, that's all we need. We don't need anything more than that. And, and I'm thankful for what we have, but if we have a nice building and lots of people and great programs and, and organized ministries, but God's Spirit isn't involved, it has no value. The point of all of this is, folks, little is much when God is in it. So don't despise the day of small things. Because God is interested in the small things. He enjoys the small things. And He uses the small things to change us and to grow us. You can find value even in the day of small things if you recognize that God is the one doing the work. That's the most valuable thing that we get to enjoy. If you recognize the value of God's work at Eastside Baptist Church, you can even enjoy the process even if it doesn't look like what you want it to look like, even if it doesn't look like what it used to look like, you can enjoy the process because you know that He's bringing us to a product. He's bringing you to a product. You can enjoy even the small things because even God enjoys the small things. Look again at verse 10. It says, For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel, With those seven, they are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. Now, you say, what does that mean? Well, that plummet basically means a plumb line. And if you've ever been in construction, then you know you have to have the right tools to do the job. And I, I don't know a lot about construction, but I do know that you want things to be square. You want things to be straight. You save yourself a lot of trouble down the road if you'll, make, if you, if you'll measure twice before, right up front. See, this verse is saying that God's eyes, uh, just as a summary, God's eyes are scanning the earth for people that are willing to embrace the small things. And it even says they shall see the plummet, something as small as a plumb line, in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven, the, the eyes of the Lord. And it says they shall, they're saying they shall rejoice because of it. God rejoices when his people are willing to do the small things. To not despise the process. God enjoys it. And if God enjoys it, then we can too. We have to be willing to enjoy the process. I know it's not always easy. I know the small things might seem like less value. But, if, but God is big and He values the small things. And so should we. You might say right now, I'll never be as spiritually mature as them. 
I mean, look where I am compared to them. And they're sitting in a pew. You've watched them for months or years, and you think, I really wish I was where they are, but I'm not, so I'll never be. No, don't despise who you are today, because God doesn't despise who you are today. That person that you want to be like, they they used to be in your same spiritual condition. They were right where you are in their level of maturity. You say, well, I'll never contribute to the church like they do. I mean, my position is really in the background, or it's taking out trash, or it's cleaning here or there. Don't despise the gifts that God has given you to serve Him. God does not despise your gifts, so you shouldn't despise your gifts. You say, well, I wish I was better at this, or I wish I was better at that. Don't despise who you are. Enjoy the process and develop yourself, but God enjoys the the things that you bring to the table. He's thankful for them, and He can use the small things to take you to some place else. And right now, you may be thinking, and there are some I know that have this, this, in their mind, they're thinking, I wish our church was doing more right now. I wish we were jumping in quicker. I wish we were doing more. No, don't despise this season in our church's life. A lot of people are despising the season, and they're just so upset about mandates, and they're so upset about you know, taking things slowly and not jumping back in. No, listen, it could be that this day of small things... This season in our church's life is what strips away all of the extras and it reminds us about what matters most. That God's spirit must be involved in the work if it's to have any value. And maybe God is bringing us to the place where we, everything else is removed and all we have is our church family and the spirit of God. And we might need to realize that if that's all we have, that's all we need. That's all that matters. That has value. Let me remind you of the principles in this passage. Folks, if you're in a season of small things, which I think most of us, it seems like we are, and we're tempted to despise them, but if you're in a season of small things, you have a promise of daily, continual help. That olive tree was pumping in pure olive oil all the time. It was never-ending supply. You have an endless supply of help from God you also will have the resources to finish. It may not seem like it's ever going to get done, but God promises the capstone. He promises you the resources. If you will simply trust in His Spirit to do the work, He will bring it to pass. And then third, you'll enjoy the product if you're willing to embrace the process. Don't despise the day of small things. Something better lies ahead. And I truly believe that's true for our church. In the same way that it's true for a child and a mom or a dad that's frustrated at the child for for all the small days. Well, someday if we embrace God's spirit to help in the work, someday we'll get to enjoy a finished product. Or maybe it's somebody in your life that you know they should be closer to God or they're far from God and you're thinking it's a small day and they'll never be what they're supposed to be. No, no. Uh, trust God for the work. He can work in a heart in a way that we can't. Not by might, not by power, but God can do that work. Don't despise the day of small things. That's God's process of bringing us to the product. In our church right now, I'm asking you to have the spirit that says, I'm not going to despise the day of small things. I'm not going to despise it while it looks different or it's not everything it could be. Because I believe that God can use this season of small things to take Eastside Baptist Church to heights it's never seen before.
if we would be willing to embrace instead of despise the small things, someday this process might lead to a product that is an incredible thing to behold. It can happen in your life. It can happen in this church as long as we don't despise the day of small things. Let's pray. Father, I ask you for your help. And I'm asking that you would speak to our hearts and we're going to have a time of invitation here. And I, I do pray that, that your people will be responsive to your word. And I think this is a principle that means enough that, that if we're thinking that we have plenty of ways we can apply it. And there are plenty in, in our church that are going through a process right now. Maybe it's a financial hardship. Maybe it's a health trial. Maybe it's a relationship issue or maybe it's raising children maybe it's at work and I don't know what it is and who how it applies but we're all having we all have a process and you want to take us to a product but we have to be willing to submit to the process we and the only way to submit to the process is to not despise the small things to be willing to accept the small steps so that someday we can enjoy something bigger because you've promised your help continuously And you've promised to help us finish the work. And I'm thankful that if we will submit to the process, you'll let us enjoy the product. Speak to us as you will. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.